We're not quite in the wasteland just yet. The original Mad Max is a very different film to its more famous sequels. Let's take a look at the origin story of the series' main protagonist, enjoy some action on the road, and see what glimpses there are of things to come. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. I come in peace. This is a science fiction movie podcast. We've watched a sci-fi movie. We're going to talk about it. This episode, we're going to be looking at the first Mad Max movie. And we'll get into that. We'll start spoiler free as we always do. And we'll warn you before we get to spoilers. And just before we get going, I'll just uh, remind you to hit the like button if you're on YouTube. Helps us out a lot if you do. And you can support everything over at patreon.com slash mailfuzztv. Uh, you get some bonus stuff over there. I'll tell you more about that at the end. But uh, the first Mad Max is a very interesting movie to talk about because the franchise is known. People know the Road Warrior. People mm -hmm. obviously Fury Road was this big comeback and... The reason why we're doing these is because there's a new Mad Max movie out next year, uh, Furiosa yep. specifically. So not Max himself, but set in the in the world. So good reason to work through these. And mm -hmm. the first one's interesting because it reminds me a lot of when people watch Friday the 13th and they have an idea in their head of what a Friday the 13th movie is. And it's not actually quite that yet. And that franchise took a few movies to get to that point. But yeah. with this one... When people think of Mad Max, they're actually thinking probably of the Road Warrior. They're thinking of Mad Max 2. Mad mm -hmm. Max 1 is a little different. Uh, so we're going to delve into it this episode. Uh, I did see it once a long time ago, but I'd forgotten a lot of it. I had some vague recollections. But uh, was this a first time watch for, for you? I'm fairly certain. I know my father was a big fan of Mad Max when I was growing up, but I don't think he ever showed me this one. Or at least I wasn't paying attention to it as a kid. So this this all seemed new is the long and short of it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very different. This is 1979. This is George Miller directing, who's directed mm -hmm. all of the Mad Max movies. Uh, although I believe there's a bit of an asterisk on the third one where I think someone else was like co-directing mm -hmm. or came in and did some scenes uncredited or something like that. But okay. it's, it's obviously, you know, we got a young Mel Gibson in the role. Uh, yes, and this is very, very young. This is very much an Australian movie. Uh, everyone's mm -hmm. got an Australian accent. Something that I don't think Mel Gibson keeps for the sequels, because I think obviously it became clear, oh, this is going to be a worldwide American-style right. movie. So he's not going to do, use his Australian accent anymore. But mm -hmm. it's, it's very thick in this one. You, you might even want to turn on the subtitles just to keep track of uh, everything that's being said. I I don't want to I don't want to get too deep into it yet in terms of my thoughts on this, but if it weren't for the opening subtitle that said like in the not too distant future, you could have fully convinced me this was just Australia <laughs> in the late seventies. There's like nothing in it that I was like, yeah, this seems out of place in a real world setting. I mean, that feels really insulting to Australia. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, I I was thinking of it in the same way as like people think of New York in the 70s, sure, where everything's okay, sure. just sort of like dirty, grimy, and like not great. Okay, I, I can see the, the Raiders in this being compared to kind of 70s or 80s New York punks. I, right. I, guess, I guess I can kind of see that comparison, but... Uh, yeah, because this, this is the thing. Mad Max is known as the post-apocalyptic franchise, and in many ways mm -hmm. it's the quintessential post-apocalyptic franchise. It defined what the post-apocalypse was, but it wasn't yeah. the first one that did that, because this first one, 
the society still exists. There's diners. Yeah. There's people going to jobs. There's there's a nightclub I, at one point. It's still society. I watched, <laughs> I watched the trailer for this on IMDb just to be like, what were people expecting when they went to the theater? And they one of the things the trailer says directly is like, there's no more civilization. I'm like, well, that's just a lie. <laughs> I mean, clearly things are going are going bad. Things are getting mm-hmm. rougher. The, the the type of biker gang, these raiders or uh, nomads, as they call them in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, those do feel like villains from a post-apocalyptic movie. They do. They they they, they yeah. act exactly what I think of a band of raiders in the post-apocalypse are. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's definitely some small things here or there that are definitely stepping stones to the things that you think of in, in the post-apocalypse. But he's not riding around a wasteland. He's riding around the countryside, mostly. It looks yeah. like just the real world. <laughs> I think the biggest thing for me is that, like, all of the roads and the few towns that we see all seem pretty kept up. It doesn't yeah. seem like, you know, everything's fallen into decay once nobody, there's no like government or anything to take care of these things anymore, but it's still all there, which makes it that feel like the apocalypse must've happened like three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. If it even has happened yet, I'm not convinced that it, ha- it feels yeah. more like we're in the process of society starting to crumble and things are getting a bit more violent and things are, or you know starting to evolve to devolve but we're not quite there yet and that's kind mm. of at least how i look at it just based on where the rest of the movies are going to be in terms of the post-apocalypse because this doesn't feel like that there's definitely a, a theme of losing hope which we'll we'll talk about mm. but uh yeah we'll, we'll get into all that but uh yeah basically mel gibson's character max is a cop in this, uh, I think it is technically meant to be Australia, although I don't think the sequels mm. necessarily specify where, where they are anymore, but uh, it does seem to be Australia. And Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've been spending a lot of time on TV Tropes recently, mm-hmm. the website that just documents a whole bunch of stuff, and one that I've always found interesting was Early Installment Weirdness, which is whenever there's a franchise and they haven't quite, as you said, found their footing with like Friday the 13th, mm. this is that to a T where, like you were saying, I think that they eventually get the grip on it of what they want to do. But even this one being set in Australia is one of those ones where I'm like, from what I've just culturally managed to get from Mad Max Fury Road without having seen it, I'm pretty sure that just exists in the wasteland. It's yeah. not Australia's outback or anything. It's just the wasteland. Yeah, I don't remember anything specific about a location. And if anything, mm-hmm. there's so many American accents, you probably just assume it's America, but it's, yeah, it's hard true. to... Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's, he's a cop. There's there's violent crimes and stuff like that. And it, he wants to quit, and that's kind of part of the, the plot of the movie. And I'll just kind of leave it there, but there's, there's a violent gang going around. There's a gang that mm-hmm. wants revenge on him, and that's a big part of the plot, too. So... That's the basic gist of it. So let's get into our, our feelings on the matter and we'll see mm. where we go from there. Uh, David, what did you think of the original Mad Max? I went into this with my only real exposure being, again, what I think people think of when they think of things like Road Warrior or Thunderdome. Like once it managed to establish this, and then obviously Fury Road was just everywhere for a while. So watching this, I kept expecting it to be more. I kept expecting it to get to the point where I know what Mad Max is, and it never got there. And that's my own thing. That's me coming in with expectations on the outset. It's not the movie itself doing that. I will say that I think there is a 
strange pacing issue to this movie where despite being revered as this action-packed like crazy style movie it slows down hard for like the entire second act and only in the last maybe 20 minutes of the movie do i think it really gets to the point where it was trying to get to the whole time that being said i think it was well made i think it had a great idea as to what it's doing for a movie where driving is the central focus george miller does a great job of that he does a great job at giving this feeling of speed and he keeps up with all the motorbikes and cars well enough so all in all i'd say mixed bag for me but i didn't come out of it saying well I don't want to see the rest of them now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting one to talk about because it is this weird oddity of... Because I, I think it's a, it's a fine enough movie. I, I think mm-hmm. there's things about it I like, there's scenes about it I like, but it's not necessarily... It doesn't sum up to being this overall great experience or a classic in its own. I think... Obviously, it, it laid the groundwork, and then Mad Max 2, I presume, was the movie that really George Miller wanted to make, maybe in the first place. Mm. Or maybe it wasn't. Maybe this was just always the idea. It was this guy who, you know, he has a family in this movie. He's got a wife and a son. It's 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 weird. Like, he's supposed to be a wasteland. And some of that is yeah. just these preconceived notions based on the rest of the franchise and what it would become. But it does mm. make it kind of fascinating to watch this and think about, like was there a plan for more of what the next one would be already and that's what you wanted but you you settled because oh we don't have the money to go to anywhere that actually looks like a wasteland and we don't have the budget to Mm -hmm. do this we've got we can do some car stunts and we can do some chases and we can play more on the character side of things because ultimately this movie is not really an origin story for the post-apocalypse that we see in the later movies but it does serve as a origin story for max Right. It serves as an origin story for why he does become who he is. And one of the things that comes up in the movie and he wants to quit the force because it's too dangerous out there, the bad guys are getting worse and he wants to just go and be somewhere with his wife, is that the guy in charge is, I don't know, I never really hear any ranks being said. Sergeant, I'll say. Uh, He says to him, you know, people have stopped believing in heroes and we're going to give them some heroes. We're going to do that. And that line stuck out to me because obviously when you think of Mad Max, you probably do think of him as being a hero. And I think in the mm-hmm. sequels, he is kind of this reluctant hero who in this world is very harsh. He's this wandering stranger who comes in and ends up helping save the day. That's kind of what Mad Max is. It's like the classic Western trope. The mm. outlaw just rides into town and says, oh, you've got some problems. I'm here to help. Yeah. And he's very reluctant. And I think there's kind of a hopeful element to that of like, that's why he's trying to like convince Max to stay on the force because he's the one good cop he has. He's the one guy who may actually inspire good in the people around, but society's mm. crumbling. People are losing faith. And that was all on the, the, uh, the, the Baker gangs feeling like they were post-apocalyptic villains. That was the one little seed that made it feel like, Oh, this is building to what the sequels are. This idea that society right. is crumbling. Now there's a bit of a leap because from what I remember from uh, the second movie, there's no diners, there's no clubs, there's no society yeah. of any kind thriving. It's it's just camps of people surviving like you expect in a post-apocalypse. So I'm actually curious if we go into later movies here of, obviously this movie he is with 
what is the equivalent of the police. I believe it's called the main force patrol in this movie. I've actually got what it stood um, for, but yeah, it was MFP was the yeah. initials. Uh, they just call them the bronze over and over, which better than coppers, I guess. So I'm actually curious if maybe the main force patrol only exists around like the last holdouts of like civilizations and whatnot where like everything's mm. trying to be normal and then later movies he's just like no i'm just gonna drive into the outback where there's smatterings of people every once in a while who have essentially gone feral ah uh, yeah maybe that's that and maybe that's a a critique you could levy at it is the world building doesn't necessarily make that clear although Again, is it a problem for this movie specifically when if this if when this first comes out and the sequels don't exist, are you asking those questions, or is this yeah. this is just the world that he's in? This is the rules that we are given, and this is what we expect. Mm -hmm. But if because we have this foreknowledge of what Mad Max is going to be, it does leave us with all these questions of oh, this this this, this and this. So this 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 movie just feels very different. It feels like yeah. a weird prototype to the it's real the movie that comes next it's the same sort of thing of when you go into like the original star wars trilogy but you've seen the prequels now darth vader is not this menacing figure of like oh we we know exactly or we don't know anything about him he's just this person who can do magic with his hands and then you see the prequel trilogy, like oh he's a whiny little bitch okay got it i feel like that's not a perfect comparison because it's more no, but i'm just Negative, right, right. I'm, but... <laughs> I'm just saying it's this idea that with the thing that came out uh, with the things that came out later altering the viewpoint of the original thing mm. it's this idea that you know you go in and you see the original mad max without any of the sequels being there you're going to have this idea of no this is what the apocalypse looks like this is like how it ends up being a dystopia but then you see the later movies and you come in with that when you go back and see the original again you're like oh this has this isn't the wasteland this hasn't where's my thunderdome <laughs> yeah i think it's a weird comparison though because with star wars you should just disregard the prequels because the original thing is the thing you want to enjoy that's the one that's actually oh, well. good this is different because th th this original movie's not bad but the, secret, yeah. the, the, the the thing that came later that changed everyone's perception changed their perception because it was better because it was it was it, you know it was an actual classic whereas this is kind of a an interesting movie that it's got merits there's there's definitely there's good mm -hmm. moments of direction in it uh there's some interesting stylistic choices there's uh there's there's a couple of moments in this movie where right before someone dies there's like a close-up of yeah. eyes popping out. It's like it's like they had one person who could do the eye popping out trick, and they used some quick snippets of it just before two key deaths in the movie. I won't spoil what they are, obviously, but mm -hmm. just uh, and I was like, oh, that's an interesting little thing you've slotted in there. Yeah, that's the one I've, I've watched. Actually, a few like video essays and stuff specifically on Fury Road, just because everyone was talking about how well it was shot and stuff like that. And the one thing that always came up is that George Miller has a really good sense of following where your eye is on screen and being mm. able to like transition the action well because of that and be because of watching those things i was trying to see that in this movie and it's still there whenever there's an action scene it's not a matter of your eye is jumping around the screen like it stays pretty central and if he does have to take it off center he always manages to bring it back in the next shot so that way you never 
miss a single beat yeah, of action. Or, or another way to put it, and this is something that all editors are kind of taught to try and keep in mind when they're editing. Sometimes you want to jolt the audience by having them abruptly jump across the screen. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, if you end the audience's focus on the left of the screen, you want to have the next shot start in the same place where their focus is right. still on the left. And then you can transition it in the same shot. You know, if someone moves through the scene, that's fine. But when you do a cut, you want them to be focused on the same part of the screen that they were before, and that makes it feel mm-hmm. smooth. Um, again, sometimes there's reasons to want to have that disconnect. If you want them to feel slightly disturbed or slightly like yeah. something's not right or whatever, there's reasons to do it. But that's typically, and I think when you're doing a lot of fast-paced action, if nothing else, because it is so fast-paced, like you have to have that quick hand of the audience being able to follow things because when you're doing these quick yeah. shots that are very, very rapid and you're doing quick movements and car chases and reactions, mm-hmm. uh, if the audience have to adjust for one of these shots and the shot only lasts two seconds, they'll probably not like take in the information that they were supposed to get from it if they were still yeah. adjusting their eyes to what they were supposed to be looking at. So, But I, st- I still just find it super impressive because obviously in nowadays stuff, everything is so... I don't want to say slower paced, but it is like a lot more clean. It's a lot... It feels like it's been fed through a machine more than someone actually sitting there and cutting up the film. Mm. And obviously, you're able to see these things. You're with special effects and whatnot. You're able to change where the action is actually even happening on screen with just a click of a button, which I think makes it all the more impressive that this guy, on like zero budget, more or less, just a film camera out in the roads of Australia, managed to make it so. All of these things, he just had it in his mind of how the cars were going to move across the screen and then what the next shot was going to be to keep that sort of flow going. Because I don't think, I mean, just looking at the budget for this, it was it was low to the point where one of the final things, one of the final set pieces in this movie, he basically paid a truck driver like 200 bucks to just ride over a bike. <laughs> and he was like please we just need this shot it's really important so like it's it's incredible to me he got so much done on so little well, I th- back in that i think one of the problems we have with modern movies uh and this is why despite the fact that this movie is flawed and isn't as, as great as you know what comes after it mm-hmm. there's still a lot to respect in it and a lot of charm to it because I think a lot of modern movies and a lot of modern filmmakers, and there's some that obviously are notable for still wanting to shoot on film and still wanting to avoid digital effects where they can and whatnot, but a lot of it is, like you say, like adjusted in the computer so much. You know, I know the the Marvel mantra right now is we'll fix it in yeah. post, right? That's like a big thing. And I, I do think that a lot of these filmmakers who come from before that time where they had to have the skill and talent and they had to mm-hmm. be able to to do it the hard way, I think actually builds up a lot of good traits. And I think, and I'm not saying that there's like, there's no some modern directors, there's no, there's no modern directors that don't have the skill sets and, and can't do it, but it does mm-hmm. kind of feel like there's less of them. And part of that is because all the filmmakers who got to the point where they made it back in the 70s and 80s, they, they made it, because they had to have the talent to get there. They had to have the, the, the film insight and the, the understanding right. of how to put scenes together and how to tell those visual stories because they couldn't just fix it later. They had to have the skill. Anyone who tried and failed, their movie either never came out or it's something that we'll cover on Extra Reels one day. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that's, that's what it is. Whereas there's a lot of mainstream stuff now that's pretty bland and it's pretty just kind of safe and following the rules and there's not really much to it beyond just... 
it's the coverage of what's happening. There's nothing really right. artistic about it. And there are artistic things in this. The, the way he introduces Mel Gibson's character in this, uh, with close-ups mm-hmm. of the hands, the sunglasses, the, you know, he builds up to him. It, there's re- yeah. a real sense of, like, oh, we're building up to the main character being introduced. And I think there's just little touches like that, or uh, there's, there's one moment in this where, where Max wakes up from a nightmare. And you don't even see the mm-hmm. nightmares. There's not, like, a nightmare scene. You just see him sit up in bed. But the way he sits up in bed and the way the, the shot's lit and just the, the sense of like the sun stinging the music, it just it, it does feel quite jolting. And yeah. it always feels like he's doing stuff to create an effect. So while I think the story is a little bit oddly paced and the movie ends rather abruptly once it does get to its conclusion, yeah. I, like th- there's absolutely things in here to like. Um, but this movie crawled so that road warrior could run yeah i i could agree with that i think that it is a it is a good bones it's a good foundation to what mad max was eventually going to become because i guess that's kind of the issue back then is that if you're working especially not in the hollywood system he made this in australia and then just shopped it around elsewhere so he's working essentially on an independent budget here there's no way he's going to be able to pull off these amazing, incredible things without having something to back him up, more or less. And he did what he could with his budget. He did what he could with what he had on hand. And he made something that was great for what he had. But in terms of, like, all of... I mean... the. The exact same year this came out, like Alien came out. Like it was, <laughs> yeah. There was obviously bigger, more budgeted films at that time. But, but the skills there, though, you can see the right. skill in the filmmaking. Exactly, with what he had on hand, you could see it's there, and that's why when he was able to come back, he had actual money behind him because people were like, "Mad Max did great, do it again," and that's why we were able to get the Road Warrior out of it. So yeah, I think it was a, just like you said, it's this one crawled so that he was able to make the next one sprint. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like I, I think you can't necessarily just get, let it away with any faults it has because no. of its budget. Because, you know, I think you could have had a better script. You could have had a tighter script. Because there's many low-budget films that are fantastic. There's many mm-hmm. low-budget films that sort of go above and beyond and, and become something special in their own right. And I don't think this quite nails that. I think this is sort of in this this interesting middle ground, which is... The skills there, the talents there, a lot of the foundations there, but it's not quite enough to be a a, a, a classic in its own right or or mm-hmm. to be special in its own. But obviously, it led to the special movies. It led to George Miller proving that he was this great director who has a very weird directing career. Where yeah. <laughs> other than Mad Max, he's got Happy Feet and some Babe, uh, and there's large gaps in time where he wasn't yeah. doing anything. He almost made a Justice League movie at one point. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and then obviously now he's doing Mad Max movies again because Fury Road was a hit. And mm-hmm. uh, although by the time it comes out, it'll have been nine years since Fury Road. You say things like that, and immediately I'm just hit with, "Oh, I need to start thinking about my retirement fund." <laughs> I know it's insane that that movie will be. I mean, it's eight years old now. Fury Road. Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely insane that. In just a couple of years. I mean, we have mapped out episodes to when that'll be a decade old. Yes, we have. Oh god. <laughs> uh, it's when I was I was talking about I was talking to Matt on uh 
don't know if it was actually on the comics podcast or just beforehand, mm-hmm. but he was talking about looking at when his mortgage ends, and it's like a date from a sci-fi movie. It's like 2049, and it's... Jesus. It's like, whoa. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Jesus, uh, oh, yeah. See, that was... I remember growing up, and that was what Back to the Future 2 was, where it's like, oh, 2015, yeah. the far distant future, where we'll have all these crazy tech things. And then it came and went. And I just, I can't go back to that movie now without having that pang of sadness of what we could have had. Well, one day we're going to have to do it. So you're going to have yeah. to feel that pang of sadness. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, yeah, it's not to diminish. You know, obviously, I think the, the villains are memorable. They're goofy in places. But... Oh, yeah. I think, the, I think that the primary villain of this movie is even more than Mel Gibson, like, the main draw i think he is super interesting as a character the whole way through because <laughs> well, he plays it so over the top but he's still so menacing yeah there's sort of three main villains so it's it's like it's a whole gang but like there's the mm-hmm. leader who is uh tokar yep and then you've got uh johnny who's kind of like the the rookie one that tokar likes and wants to sort of raise his prodigy and then you've yep. got the main henchman named bubba and can i just say that this guy is he looks nothing like a Bubba. When I when I think Bubba, I think of like an overweight Southern guy yeah. with a beard. And this is like this skinny guy with almost like Eminem style blonde short hair. Mm-hmm. That's that's what he looks like. He every time he came on screen, he reminded me of someone. And I looked at his full filmography. It definitely isn't just him, but I can't place it. But he is so familiar looking the whole way through. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, because it is an Australian movie, I don't think I recognize anyone in this other than, obviously, Mel Gibson. Yeah. Everyone's pretty... I'm looking through, like, the images, and a lot of people are just using stills from Mad Max as their IMDb pictures, so... Yeah, which usually indicates they didn't have a a big career mm-hmm. <laughs> after yeah. it, which is, which, which is fine. Uh, and I, I don't think there's any performances in here that I... I, I dislike like I mean, obviously they're a little dated in terms of the the sort of tone they're going for because they're going for this kind of you know late seventies style but mm-hmm. for the mo- but not, not, nothing comes off as a poor performance I would say no there was nobody that stood out the only um, weirdness that I had is just from characters not getting like properly introduced and so when they show up and give a performance I'm like why are why are we focusing on you the one that stands out to me is um. Oh, what was the name here? Benno, who was the big guy who was out in the forest towards like the middle end of Act Two. That's... Oh right, yeah. I think well, I think he yeah. is set up technically. Someone mentions that Benno was right. out there, but yeah. But like, all we get is a name, and then he just shows up, and he like sticks around for that scene and the next scene. I'm like, why? Who are you, and why are you here? He just shows up out of nowhere. But that's not a performance issue. It's just more of a... The script could have been more tightly written, I guess, Mm. to make that more obvious. Yeah, I do wonder, actually, because we were saying how... Like, they were running out of money and they were just getting what Mm. they needed to finish the film towards the... I do wonder if part of the reason why the last act feels a little bit... Like, it's more of a montage almost in places Mm. than it is an actual full act. Is maybe because, okay, we have to try and do this in as few scenes and shots as possible just so we can actually have a finished complete movie i, I do wonder if there's maybe an element of that to it yeah maybe i mean i they definitely blow a lot of the budget in the 
opening sequence because they do a lot of big stunts there just to catch the eye but yeah. it works it's not like it it's blown for no reason they do a great job at that but yeah once you hit the end of the movie where the action really comes back in full force it does feel like they had half of the budget that they did for the opening sequence if even yeah so yeah i think we'll uh we'll get into the spoilers then we'll talk about everything in the movie so uh spoilers for mad max you have been warned from this point mm-hmm. on uh the movie opens with uh, a villain who turns out is related to the rest of the gang who want revenge for his demise but the movie opens with this villain named knight rider i'm sorry i didn't catch his name could you say it 700 more times knight rider he, he, he loved to yell it he was yelling it in the car oh, yeah. constantly uh, this is this is without the K as well. This is not the David Hasselhoff Knight Rider. Just uh, nope. to be clear, and this this predates it, so it's not even like this would be ripping them off if it was. Yeah. So I just imagine they were like, "Hey, we've come up with the perfect name for your show, Mister Hasselhoff. It's going to be called Knight Rider." And he's like, "With or without the K?" Hmm. He's like, "Oh, without without the K, obviously." And then he pulls up Mad Max. He's like, "Son of a bitch! <laughs> they took a perfect name from us." So. Uh, they're basically just joyriding and there's a, a cop car chasing then a second car gets involved although we get a, mm. a brief introduction to two of the guys in one of the cop cars where the chubbier one is like using his sniper rifle to just watch a couple having sex in a field yeah and he's just been a bit pervy and then when their sirens go off the couple gets scared and realise there's people nearby and run off into the you know to the distance basically mm. uh, but yeah so we have this chase scene where the two cop cars are chasing uh, Knight Rider. Uh, it feels weird to say that, but yeah, they're chasing Knight Rider. And, you know, they, they, they get hit a couple times where uh, the main car crashes into, like, a, po- a pole or something, and the front of the mm-hmm. car is actually wrecked. But the chubby guy's insisting, that he, no, no, we're still chasing them, we're still chasing them. And he still, yeah. he keeps driving. And... I suppose it does kind of loosely set up this idea of, like, worshipping the road in a way, because, like, they do fight a little mm-hmm. bit over who gets to drive, so... Which isn't necessarily that weird, but it's... Yeah, it's... It, we see it a lot more later when we get introduced to, like, this garage under the police station. Yeah, like, yeah. Everyone here kind of has just this real fetish for their cars. They're really into driving and they're really into the road, and I don't think there's a single character that we meet that's not, like all in on their ride the entire time i don't know max's wife kind of pokes fun at him for caring so much about True. his car so yeah just the men i guess yeah <laughs> i mean do you blame them <laughs> uh but of course once the both cars get uh destroyed in fact the the way that the the final car gets destroyed is that there's this over-the-top moment where a baby's like crawling out onto the road and like the parents are arguing with someone else and then the mum freaks out because there's this high-speed chase happening and obviously the bad guy doesn't care if he hits a kid he's just speeding down the road yelling his name Mm -hmm. he loves being knight rider he does uh, my my favorite part in the sequence though is that not only is there a baby in the road but then like 50 feet later there's uh, the best i could describe it is a character from the vacation series <laughs> where he's tri- he's driving with this huge like trailer on the back and he manages to get it lodged like 
perfectly horizontally across the street. And he's like, I'm trying, honey. I just need to turn around. <laughs> so obviously that's going to be the fruit cart of this sequence. Yes, yes. It gets obliterated. Mm -hmm. uh, and this takes all the cop cars out. So, uh, And also during the middle of all this, we get an introduction to Goose, who's kind of yes. our second main cop. He is at a diner and he's just kind of, he's telling a story about how gruesome one of the, the crime scenes he went to was and it puts the other guy off his food. So he's like, oh, I'll have it then. So he's quite happy to eat all this food. But then he hears the cars go by and he realizes there's something going on and bolts mm. out of the restaurant and dives over a car to get to his motorbike. So he's in pursuit and he gets taken out of the action. His leg gets injured. So then he mm. finally grabs his, his, his walkie-talkie or whatever and says, Max, Max, they're they're you know they're getting away. <laughs> We've all failed. It's on you now, Max. Your only hope. So sure enough, Max's car revs up into gear. Because at this point, we've seen a couple of shots of him like cleaning his hands of oil and mm. you know just sort of tinkering with the car. But we've not seen his face yet. You don't actually see his face until after the car chase is done and the the bad guy Night Raider his car blows up because he drives yeah. into uh it's like a fuel. Like it was, there's like, there like barrels of fuel and it some was, other stuff. It, I, it was another truck. Like so, so Max is right up on his ass the entire time, and he's like nudging the back of the car. And for some reason, Knight Rider just starts breaking down, like emotionally. He starts sobbing. He's like, "Oh, I'm the Knight Rider." <laughs> it's like he knows who Max is. It's like, "Oh no, don't send Max after me." Yeah, it seems like it, but there's nothing in the dialogue that like suggests that. He just starts breaking down, and then. He loses track of the road for a second. He looks up and there's like a big fuel truck that he just hits. Yeah. So he and goes, explodes. Goes up in flames and then yep. Max gets out and that's where you finally see his face and you get this uh, almost hero shot where it kind of tracks into his face a little bit. Uh, but this yep. is the, where you first get the... Uh, it's, it's like one frame of these eyes, eyes popping out, the close-up, before the explosion, mm -hmm. which gave me a chuckle. But uh, yeah, yeah they, they it's... Are, it's it's literally blink and you'll miss it, but as long as you're watching it, you can't miss it. It's there yeah. for like three frames, give or take, but it's just enough to register in your head that there was something there. So that that's your big introduction to the movie, and it's pretty good. Like, it's a good introduction to the character. It builds him up as kind of the big deal, the hero, as, as it should. Mm -hmm. All that works. Uh, but of course, like I said, you know, we've been saying since the start of this, if you come into this expecting the Road Warrior, you're like, wait a minute. Why is there cop cars? Why is there a diner? Why is there people on vacation? <laughs> like, yeah. just all these normal things are, are happening. Mm. It's very strange. Uh, so, yeah. And I mean, we also pass through, like, a town. Like, it, it does still look more like a Western-style town of just one street yeah, it, with a couple of buildings off to the side, but... It's all small it towns. Is... There's no, like, cities or anything like that in this movie. Right. That is the one thing I'll say, is that it, it does seem to all be small, low-population style places right. but it is still just like the buildings are still in technicolor everyone is still wearing like very flashy looking 70s clothes it doesn't feel like oh we had to get these rags out of our engine blocks so that way we could be dressed sort of fashion yeah so clearly we're not in post-apocalyptic land quite yet but yeah uh but we're introduced to Max's wife and his son, uh, and they seem to have a sweet relationship. We're introduced mm -hmm. to uh, Fifi, who's the, the sergeant character, who's very yeah. visually sticks out because he's bald, he's got a big mustache, he's always smoking a cigar, he's got mm -hmm. a very specific look. And because the cop uniform is leather trousers and a leather jacket, 
he does he, he st- you know he sticks out because there's a scene later on where he's walking about topless with just his leather trousers on and yeah. he's, he's still smoking the cigar and i'm like this is a, just a little bit homoerotic i'm not gonna lie there's just a, a slight vibe it's, here it's especially great because the scene that you're talking about is the scene where he basically tries to pump max up and say like you're the best of the best man is there anything i can do to convince you to stay on the force anything <laughs> okay because there's a scene almost right here actually where it's, it's after max shows up to the station and goose and the mechanic show him his car mm-hmm. this is the mad max car although it looks a little bit different in this compared to the later ones but you can tell it's maybe the same car it's yeah. it's mm-hmm. the it's got the uh i don't know the engine that comes up through the hood <laughs> i don't know what you call that yeah. it's it's the thing from fast and furious yeah. but no, no, no. Uh, Fast and Furious did the thing for Mad Max. Don't do not do it that way around. How dare you? I know, I know, I know. It's just the one that we already covered. Um, they do specifically say, though, that this is apparently one of the last of the V8 engines. Yes. Apparently everyone else has still got V6, but the V8 engine is so much more powerful. Yeah, which I know you, this doesn't necessarily mean apocalypse, but that also felt like a sign of, oh, these things are getting harder to come by. Also feel right. like we're building to things being scarce. Honestly, that was the that that was the first thing in the movie that felt like scarcity was a thing. You yeah. know, everything else up to this point, it was a chase scene. There was like families just in the middle of the road. It still felt like society is continuing on. But then they specifically show a this police department is kind of broken down. Like it's there's letters falling That's off true. of signs yeah. and stuff like that. Also, it looks like they, it's it looks like it, never, it looks like it used to be a prison or something with that before it was mm-hmm. a or maybe a school i don't know it did, but it didn't look i think it said like department of justice across the top yeah. so maybe it was like a government building in general yeah maybe um, maybe yeah but then yeah they said this line of this is the last of v8 like you're not going to find this anywhere and that was the only other thing that gave me in my head of like okay there is some level of scarcity where like mm-hmm. these cars and stuff are very important to keep going because there aren't a lot of them for whatever reason so yeah and the scene that comes right after this is actually it's fifi the sergeant this is his first scene actually and he's talking Mm -hmm. to i don't know some some government official or something and some random guy they're basically talking about max and they're talking about how wait you're you've given him this fancy car and it turns out that this has been approved to give him this because they're trying to like as he calls it, I think I think he refers to it as candy to try and keep yeah. him around. And so you try to keep your your best cop around by giving him this fancy car. He's, and this is where he first says, "Yeah, people don't believe in heroes anymore." And the, this guy's really cynical, and he he walks out saying that there's no hope left, basically. <laughs> uh, but he's determined to try and keep the dream alive. Uh, so it, it does set that up earlier on. So later on, after Goose gets killed, right, and that's kind of this. Goose gets got. Yeah, there's this motivator for Max to finally say, you know what, I'm done. I'm not. I'm not staying in this business anymore. And yeah, and that's the scene where he goes to the, the to Fifi and says, no, here's my papers. I'm done. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And Fifi gives him this whole speech about, you know, we have to give them heroes, Max. They're saying there's no more heroes left, but you are. Damn it, we have to prove that you're still out there. And you know, do, do you know what? Don't don't say, don't don't you know, quit just yet. Have two weeks leave. And then yep. if you come back and feel the same, I'll respect that. But then he starts yelling, you know, you're the best, Max! You're the best! You need to be out there! Why didn't you comment on my pecs? I've been showing them off this whole scene. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so, yeah, basically it turns out that this Knight Rider belonged to a, a wider gang of bakers mm-hmm. and, and whatnot, uh, led by Toe Cutter. 
and it turns out they do want revenge for what happened to Knight Rider. Although, the way the rest of the movie plays out, it doesn't actually matter that much that they want revenge for him because other circumstances kind of make them cross Max's path anyway, so it's just kind of whatever. Um... But they get this big introduction scene where they're going to this small town. And the reason why they're going to this small town is because it's where the body of Night Riders went. And mm-hmm. they come in and they're presented as being this big force, lots of guys on bikes. But they've got that kind of raider fallout looking sort of like, you know, they look like they're wearing yeah. odd clothes. and They look like they're from Mad Max. Yes, yes. And they, you know, demand to get the body back. And then just for fun, they, they grab a guy and start, you know, just riding him across the ground with their bikes. Mm-hmm. And there's this young couple that are in a car nearby and they see this and they think, shit, we have to get out of here. And sure enough, because Tolkar sees them riding off, he's like, well, they're running from us, so we have to go after them now. And they never show anything too graphic here, but there is definitely some very dark implications as to what exactly oh, happens yeah. with this pair. Because they do catch up with them. They pull them out of the car and it cuts away and it's after this that we see Max and Goose get the call, hey, there's been some gang activity over here. And they find this car uh, and on the way to the car even, they see the guy of the couple uh, running mm-hmm. through the field uh, with no like trousers on, no underwear on. And it certainly yeah. is implying that there was some sodomy of some kind, right? They definitely mm-hmm. implied that they raped a woman, but it also seems to be implying that whether it was for sexual pleasure or just because there were like shoving things up his ass just for the sake of their own weird like comedy if you will um Mm -hmm. they've done something really disturbing and uh sure enough when they arrive this woman is like shell-shocked she's scared of them she you know she doesn't want any help uh Mm -hmm. and goose seems to like be really sympathetic and wants to help her puts his jacket around her takes her in the car all that so it sets up goose cares that he doesn't like bad guys and it's like okay it felt like he was a bit of a showman at first when we met him but it seems like okay he is a bit of a showman but doesn't you know he still seems to morally be on the up and up he 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 seems like he doesn't play by the rules because obviously you know he's not on his bike when we first meet him he's not listening to the radio he's very much just cavalier Mm. but he ultimately does believe in good for goodness sake even if that is outside the system he believes in doing the right thing yeah and the other thing here is that one of the gang members johnny and this is where we kind of really properly get to know him because he Mm -hmm. he didn't really stick out before but yeah but we did have other gang members basically saying like johnny ah johnny sucks man (laughs) screw johnny yeah johnny's the screw up who he's probably on whatever these gangs take i mean the movie never gets into like what they're on or whatever but he's definitely on something He's huffing uh, gasoline. But he's sitting there giggling when, when Max and, and Goose show up. And they take him in, of course, because, hey, he's he's guilty of this. He's part of this group. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the gang get, like, lawyers to get him out of it. And, like, you know, basically, it, it turns out that the, the girl or no one else involved went to, I, I assume, give witness testimony, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. So it the way I picked up on the scene is, you know, he's held in there for a few days. They basically say like, oh, yeah, we caught you at the scene. Like, you're definitely going down. But then it seems like in the interim, the gang basically went around and intimidated yeah. everyone to just not show up. So that way, when the trial finally came time, they had zero evidence to actually keep the guy. Yeah, I, either intimidation or I even read it as maybe like they've just got such a reputation they didn't even have to go and intimidate them. Like people are yeah, just true. like, just, you know, we're not we're not talking against them. It's just not worth their effort. So mm-hmm. uh, 
basically, uh, Bubba, who does not like Johnny, was sent to go pick him up, so he's not very happy about it. But mm-hmm. when they're try when they're trying to release uh, Johnny, Goose is like, no, "You're not letting him go. He did this yeah. to these two people. Like, what the hell are you doing?" And he starts to just try and beat the shit out of him in front of the lawyer, yeah. in front of his superiors, and Max and the other guys have to hold him back. And he's like, "You can't let him go. This is bullshit." But this paints a target on Goosey's back, and that's why he ends up being a victim. Uh, we we see him at a nightclub, uh, making eyes at the singer, and then he wakes yeah. up next to the singer, which again. Nothing inherently wrong with having, like, a club scene mm-hmm. in this sort of environment where we're saying, okay, it's focused apocalyptic, but it was just the way that it was shot. Like, there was still lights going on. There was still, like, neon everywhere. It felt weird that this type of club would still exist in a post-apocalyptic setting. Yeah, but as we've been saying, this is clearly not post-apocalyptic yet. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he wakes up. And these bikes been tampered with because it is, you can see that he ends up sort of like crashing it because it's not breaking more whatever properly. And yeah. he's, he ends up in a truck. He gets a guy to give him a truck so he can drive his bike back to wherever. Mm-hmm. But- it does seem like this movie has some sort of like deeper lore to it between the cops and specifically, I don't know if it's a larger thing in this universe, but it seems like tow truck drivers are a major player because of all of these crashes and stuff on the road. Because earlier on, when Goose is driving out, when he gets the call, immediately there are also two tow truck drivers that are like right up behind him the whole time. <laughs> they, they know work's coming. They know they know exactly. it's time to get, to get in the gear, yeah. It feels like there's this deeper lore of like, what happens to the tow truck drivers in the Mad Max universe? How do they get their money? Yeah. I guess mechanics are treated like doctors. Like, no, you you need to keep my yeah. car alive, man. You need. To... I mean, we we kind of see one of those later on. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, he you know he ends up being blown up. They 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 they, they crash his truck. They sort of ride around him and make him crash, and he ends up fl- flipped upside down. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, for, sorry, just real quick for that scene. <laughs> That was the only major question I had, more or less, is they had this whole thing where they tampered with his bike, his bike went off the road, and then he got a tow truck to drive back into town. Why didn't they just attack him when his bike was off the road? Was that ever a and thing? That, I mean, maybe it just worked much quicker than they thought, so they weren't ready to attack him, eh. I mean, or, or whatever. He got further down the road than expected and had to wait for him to drive back. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure, but... All right. Uh, the, yeah, like one of them just like throws a rock at the window or something, but it, and it, it results in a crash that makes him flip. So he's upside down, mm-hmm. and there's gasoline like pouring down the sides, and he's kind of trapped in the vehicle upside down, and... Toothcutter, the leader, is like, hey, Johnny, this is your initiation. This is you. And surprisingly, Johnny's like, nah, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you've been depraved and were involved in a gang rape, like, just a couple of scenes ago, but, like, murders where you're drawing the line? I, I, I don't know. Just, yeah. I was like, you're already pretty far gone, dude, but... Uh, I mean, as Johnny says, he's pretty sick in the head, so... Yeah, well, he's 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 defense later on for why he shouldn't be held accountable as he says he's a psychopath, so he shouldn't be mm-hmm. held accountable for his actions. But, uh, I mean, maybe that's just him trying to play the system yeah. a little bit. Maybe that's, that's what psychopaths do. They yeah. lie. So... He's actually he actually never says yes, and he ne- he never even like drops the match to to light the gasoline. Basically, the fire just kind of starts by accident, 
because mm-hmm. they're they're sort of struggling with each other whilst they're holding a match and sure enough he goes goose goes up in flames anyway he is technically still alive after which is why we get a scene at the hospital where max shows up and he goes into the room and he sees mm-hmm. the burned hand and then he, he lifts up the cover to see his face and obviously he's not awake he's clearly in a coma he's probably not getting back up like he's probably he is probably yeah. just on a timer I mean, at this point he has third degree burns over his entire body regardless of whether he lives he's not alive at that point yeah and this is what starts giving max nightmares and it's why he goes in to quit uh the next day basically well i i think that was one of the best lines in the movie that really sold it for me of max's mental state there is as he's leaving the hospital he turns back to fifi and the other cops that are there and he's like whatever that thing is it's not goose yeah I like and that he line. just leaves yeah so it really sells to him of like no i'm I'm not accepting this. This is not something that mentally I can deal with at the moment. So he just runs off at that point. Which I, I think is kind of the main story of the movie is that he's not willing to accept it on that level, like you say. He's like, I, I just have to get away from this. I can't accept this as real. I can't accept this as the world I'm in. I have to just go away from it. And then yeah. when he tries to escape it with his wife, the world comes for him and his wife. And it's when mm-hmm. his wife and son are killed. And again, technically she's still alive for a bit in the hospital but yeah. you know again it's just like for for a time is he's not ever going to wake up again mm-hmm. um and that's when he looks completely gone and then he makes his decision to put his uniform back on and go hunting the gangs and all that it becomes a bit of a revenge story effectively yeah um it's it's basically the longest lead into a revenge story that i've ever seen yeah usually the the it's- thing that causes the revenge is in the first act here it's like end of act two and then yeah then you get the the revenge but I, I think that is kind of the, like, what drives him mad. Or or maybe you could argue in a, in a sense that he's mad for just not accepting the world around him and then the consequences of that are as these loved ones pay for it. Uh, not that it's really his fault. I'm not saying it's he's to blame for what happened to his family. But this idea that, on a grand sense, because he didn't accept the way the world was around him, that, he, that he's tried yeah. to avoid being a hero. He was forced into being a hero if you want to even call it that at the end and you know arguably it's not being a hero in this movie because he is just getting revenge but yeah but it is still quote-unquote justice it is yeah. still an idea of like the western style of justice where it's even if he's not working within the system he is the hero because he's going against the villains yeah so and to be fair as well like is this gang harass assault and frankly murder and rape almost everyone they come into contact with so mm-hmm. he is absolutely doing everyone else a favor by taking oh, them yeah. out at the end like there's no question no doubt yeah um so i guess we should talk about the holiday sequence a little bit yeah yeah like not a lot happens ostensibly but it is still the lead-in to yeah, it they're so just, they're having a picnic they're having a seaside kind of thing mm-hmm. um and there's an encounter where Max is getting a tire at the, the mechanics or whatever, and the mm. wife takes the kid to go get some ice cream or something at the local little town that's there. And mm. when she's there, though, it just happens to be that this gang are hanging about and a couple of them see her and immediately say something gross like, oh, there's a female for dinner or something like that. Yeah. And they start stalking her and even Tooth Toe Cutter gets, gets in, in her face and uh, licks her he ice licks cream. Her ice cream. That's just wrong. <laughs> That's crossing a line. Everything else, we could, you could, you could, in some level, accept. Yeah. But licking a woman's ice cream, 
Can't be doing that now. Maybe maybe that's just me looking at this in like a post-COVID world, but I'm like, don't touch my food. That's <laughs> mine. Don't touch that. Yeah. I do appreciate it because I, I was a little worried going into this, uh, or not even going into it, but earlier on we got the first scene with the wife. And then she kind of disappeared for a while while we were doing the rest mm. of the movie. And I was all, and I knew it was coming that she was going to be killed because I remembered the overall gist of what the movie was. And okay. I was like, oh god, I hope she gets a bit more character because it feels like mm. she is just the wife that's there to be killed so far. And I appreciated that she at least had some agency here where she was smart enough to get away from them. You know, she, she knees them in the yeah. balls, she drives away, she tells Max to get in the car so they can get, you know, get, get gone. Now, obviously mm. the gang now at this point want her and they're mad that she did this so they've got their sights well, on her yeah even on top of that one of the uh gang members uses oh yeah a chain. <laughs> yes of yeah, course so i forgot about this <laughs> the gang member throws a chain around the rack on top of the car and it lands it gets on and you see the gang member kind of dragging behind for a little bit before letting go and then as they make their escape they hop in the car they get way out of town finally they stop and it's like okay that was insane but we escaped we're all good and she goes around, checks the back of the car, sees the chain, and then sees the dude's hand was still wrapped up in it. And he, she just ripped it from his body as she was driving away. Yeah. So this they have a reason to come back. This comical prop of a hand dangling. Yeah. I mean, again, it's their fault for harassing her and, you know, trying to jump onto her car. But yeah, they're oh, not yeah. going to see it that way, obviously. In fact, mm -hmm. this is one of the other things that, again, just ties into what I was saying about Max not accepting things. And that's kind mm -hmm. of why things go bad, is that... They have like a, I don't know if he's a cop or whatever, but they have someone come to see about the hand and the guy says, well, if no one's claiming it, it's just lost property, right? And Max kind of turns to his wife and goes, yeah, so yeah, it's good enough for me, honey. Like, yeah. it, basically, he's, you know, he's, he's not taking this as like, a, oh, they're going to come for us. He's not seeing a threat here. He's, he's writing this off as over because they've got away mm -hmm. and he's not expecting any more problems. And of course, there is more problems. Like, they... They find this little farm that they're living on, uh, or spending their, their vacation on, and they end up chasing her through the woods. Uh, they, when Max and, like you say, that other random character who was introduced here, uh, are yeah. looking in the woods with his shotgun to find the bad guys, they're actually back at the farmhouse and they've kidnapped the baby. So we have a whole standoff where she's begging for her baby back, and uh, Toll Carter's like, well, how about you give us his hand back? And we'll give you your baby back. Uh, it's it's very important. I don't feel like we've really talked about Toe Cutter's like performance here. He does a lot of whispers and a lot of faux philosophical talking. Well, here's he's the like, thing. Here's the thing, David. Mm -hmm. His hair is very loud, so his voice yes. must be very quiet. <laughs> There's only a limited amount of volume to go around, yes. and it is all in his hair. Um, but no, I, I actually really appreciate the villain here because... It is this idea where he could, he is over the top. He is way just crazy as a villain. He's got one eyebrow shaved off. His hair is insane. And he is just a hulking, huge man compared to everyone else. But he still is this quiet sort of menacing. Like he throws out this like faux philosophical talk. He's when they, early on in the movie, they're talking about Knight Rider. He's like, his name was Knight Rider remember him and you look to the night sky it's like <laughs> all right i'm into this this is yeah, this is cool there's definitely some cheesy quality to him like there's no denying yeah. that but it does work for what it is uh mm -hmm. he's definitely giving it his all i'm just saying like if the main villain were actually just the like henchman number one the guy who is just kind of dark and foreboding the whole time 
I don't think I'd like this movie as much. I think it only really works because this idea that Toe Cutter is this essentially a cult leader. He's this guy that everyone follows unquestioningly just because of his personality and how off the wall he is. Yeah, and it's actually the old woman who owns this farm who comes out with her shotgun and forces the entire gang into the barn or whatever it is and locks the door. They kick it down relatively quickly, but they grab the baby, uh, the wife, Jessie, and the old woman with the baby get in the car and drive. But of course, it's already been established that this gang's very good at sabotaging vehicles. So the vehicle is leaking gas. You can actually see it at the front just dripping out. So the, the, the car just stops dead you know a little bit down the road and of course Mm -hmm. the bikers are all coming and it's very vague as to exactly what they do to her but you just like the like she's running down the road with her baby and it's actually Mm -hmm. it's a really nice shot like this shot of her running down the road and this like line of bikers coming towards her like the shots here are very very cinematic so nailed that Mm -hmm. wonderfully uh Mm -hmm. but all you see is the bikers go past the camera and then you see like them riding down the road, and as they ride down the road, you just see like the baby's shoe land on the yeah. You see, on the you road. see a shoe, and then like a ball that he was playing with yeah. roll out of frame. So it just it implies a lot without showing anything, and they never stop and do anything though. So I can only like like did they just hit her with the bike? <laughs> is that is that all that the all that happened here? I mean, yes. I again, like you said, they never show like a weapon reaching out or anything, but all of the cinematic language implies it was a dead hit and yeah. they just rolled like straight over her body. So, yeah. and then the other thing going on is that Max was working on his own car at the time, so it was unable to run. Mm. So, Max and the other guy are just running down this long highway basically trying to catch up and of course they're too late but then max stumbles across the scene yeah so he has to run towards his wife's dead body and it, I, I do appreciate you see it in the distance on the road but you never get close-ups of the bodies or anything like that yeah it's just a small blob in the distance you, you under you understand what it is and the, the, i think it's very well directed again i think this is the sort of moment where you're like okay george miller's proven he knows how to do this he just needs a little bit more to work with and it'll it'll come together but it, mm-hmm. it's a really solid enough scene i also appreciate that the old woman tries to hold them off with her shotgun but obviously they just ride past her she misses yeah. her one shot and that and that's it yeah so max is well he's mad now uh to 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 tie it into the hey, title we've got the title character there he is <laughs> and he he suits up he puts on his outfit he gets his black car with the big engine the v8 and he he, he rides about, he goes to a mechanic who works for the gang and like basically demands to know where they're going to be and where to find them and mm-hmm. and whatnot. Yeah. I, I love how he basically is like, tell me their names. And we list off the name of Toe Cutter, uh, Bubba, and Johnny the Kid. And then he's like, what about the others? He's like, eh, there's some other people. And it's like, yeah, we don't need any of their names. They're red they're, shirts. They're, yeah, they're fodder. <laughs> we don't need them. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that Maxie's initial attempt here does not go well. He actually gets yeah. pretty badly effed up. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he counters them on the road. He's driving uh, and he gets out of the car uh, and he's lured into a trap because they've staged like an accident and he's like mm-hmm. sort of like going up to the, the, the thing. And as he's walking, Bubba shoots him in the leg. So his, uh, I might get the, I might swap these over, but let's just say it's his left leg for the sake of uh, consistency yeah. here. Um and then when he's lying down and like Bubba's riding towards him on the bike, he's reaching for his gun, but he can't quite reach it. So Bubba runs over his his opposite arm. So his left leg and his right arm 
are both yeah. absolutely screwed. So he, so I loved it when he gets up though, and he's sort of like just dragging his foot. He's just trying to get back to his car. But that's the thing. Once he gets back to his car, he's, you know, it's like okay, that's his superpower. He once, yeah. once he's in the car, he's unstoppable, and that's kind of part of the character. Uh, although mm-hmm. that said, he shoots Bubba before that though. He actually, as soon as he gets his shotgun back, he, he shoots Bubba. His son yeah. off. Uh, he shoots Bubba with that. And then when he gets in the car, he chases Tokar until he makes Tokar ride into a big uh, truck or whatever it is, a tanker mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, yeah, the back of the truck. And that's when you get your second uh, eye-popping shots. That's one that repeats it, though. You see it twice here. So you get a bit more of a, a glimpse oh, yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I thought this... I thought the actual staging of like them tricking him on the road shooting him and running over. I, th- I mean first of all the shot of the, the arm being run over i thought looked uh oh, very yeah. good very good like what i said what i said at the beginning is i felt like the whole movie was kind of eh, paced though like all the way up to Ma- max's wife dying and then once from this point on it felt like high tension it felt like action the kind of thing that i expected this movie to be pretty much the whole way through and again, the shots you're saying of his leg being taken out, him like stumbling down the road trying to get a shot on these guys, the staging of the death of Toe Cutter, all of this, A plus. Like yeah, I love this entire sequence. It's super cinematic. Like this was really Miller flexing his muscles and showing that he could do this. He could he could do these big showdowns and make mm-hmm. it feel like a big deal. Um, it's it's really just after this where he hunts down Johnny, who's not there anymore. Uh, and eventually finds him, and this is the ends up being the final moment of the movie. Really, is this scene that it does feel like I can kind of get what he's going for with this because it's kind of creating the character of Mad Max. You know, it's mm-hmm. basically Johnny is stealing stuff from like a, a truck that some drivers like ran off the road, and yeah. Max finds him and handcuffs him to the dead driver, and he set up like a sort of trap that's on a timer where the gasoline from the the truck is sort of running. And he set it up so that eventually it'll hit this flame that he set up so that it'll blow up. Mm-hmm. And he gives, the, he, he almost sounds like a jigsaw here where he's like, hey, here's yeah. a saw. Uh, you can't cut through those handcuffs, at least not in quick enough time, but you can maybe get through your leg. So, you yep. know, have at it. And Johnny starts yelling, you're mad, you're mad. And I'm like, okay, I see what you're doing here, Miller. Uh, and Max rides off in the final moments of the movie is as he's riding down the road you just see the explosion behind him and Mm. it's like he's done it and i think i like the idea of having this more downbeat moment where he does do something that does feel kind of crazy because it's like the whole idea of him being mad max but Mm. i will say it feels a little bit subdued or like it doesn't have the punch that i was maybe expecting yeah i can see what you're saying i mean i do think that I was honestly expecting as he was driving away just because everything else here has been so low budget and everything here has been, you know, like a truck hits something or there's never really been an explosion in this movie the whole way through. So I was kind of expecting it to him driving off and we just don't even see the explosion. I was like, it was just fade to black and he just leaves him there to die. So when it did finally explode, I was taken aback just because I wasn't expecting it. There was an explosion in the opening scene, was it not? I don't think so. There was a bunch of uh, cars they, that were running. When they run raider through, but nothing dies, does he not explode? Maybe he does. He does, because Max gets out and looks at it, and it's like a big cinematic moment. Oh, that's right, yeah. Never mind. I guess I just forgot about it at that point, or that they blew their whole budget on that one explosion. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think I was, I was just more expecting it to be like this kind of 
dark ending of like, oh, did he let him die? Is this something where he he didn't even give him enough time to cut off his leg? But then all of a sudden that happens. I'm like, oh, OK, never mind. He's dead. Yeah. Whether I, you actually show it or not. Yeah, I think I, I guess I think it would just work a little bit better for me if it felt like he'd really made a choice in the final moment that felt like a big character punctuation point. But I don't know, like, from the moment he decides to hunt them all, I don't necessarily think that there's anything by the end of the day of the movie from there where he's changed. Like, as soon as he's on the hunt for them, that's him now for the rest of the movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but the, the character arc of the movie is the breaking of this last hero, you know? It's this idea yeah. of this guy who... who is all in on the law, but he wants out of it. He wants to just ignore the fact that the world is ending around him. And and that's something and, that uh, as well. There was dialogue leading to that earlier, where when he's trying mm-hmm. to quit, he says, um, "Like the more time I spend out there, I feel like I'm just becoming one of them. I just happen to have a badge that says I'm one of the good guys." Uh, right. So that that kind of alludes to that as well. Yeah, and then once we hit the third act, I think it just it's not so much that his character changes from that point. It's just demonstrating to the audience here's where he's gotten to. This is the point where he's just given up on the idea of doing things, quote-unquote, the right way, and he has become one of them, just on the side of good. Yeah. So I don't I don't think it really needed it to show that he's making a choice so much, or he's giving a choice to this guy. I think it's just the idea of, no, we see what Mad Max really is. Yeah, I just I feel like it needs just a moment of punctuation. Just, just you know, if if it's not like a, a defining choice where he's fully committed to this, or he's got a choice not to go down this path, but he's going to take it anyway, and that's obviously the the conclusion. Like, so like maybe a sequence where like you know gravestone of his wife and child or something, and then he drives off afterwards into the outback or something just to show he's leaving that life behind. Maybe I I don't know. I I, I don't really have an answer as to what it would be. It just it ends such such an abrupt way where it feels like I just you know it fades to the credits and I'm like oh it's over mm. like you know it, like I had that yeah. feeling when it when it when it finished I was like oh it's, that's it it's done uh, I was mm. expecting yeah something more at the end but I do think it was also an issue of putting Johnny as the last kill instead of Toe Cutter mm. I think it would have punched a lot harder because yes Johnny's the one who was indirectly responsible for Goose's death. But I think at this point in the movie, he's much more upset and we should be much more focused on Toe Cutter as the final kill. Like, I, he's the one who should have gotten the biggest punch out of that. I can play devil's advocate here and understand what the point was maybe trying to be here, is that Johnny didn't want to kill Goose, so he's mm. arguably, maybe he is slightly more sympathetic, or at the very least, maybe he's right when he just says that he is, you know, he's he's, psycho- he's a psychopath, he's, he's, yeah. he's mentally ill, and therefore... Max shouldn't just kill him with revenge like the way he's done the others and maybe that's the point of him being last and Max choosing to go through with it anyway I just don't know if it's set up Johnny is enough of a character fully fleshed out to right. really get that at the end but I can maybe if I'm thinking about it maybe you could argue that's what's yeah I mean I I think it's the biggest thing is that they had this like they they could didn't want to put Toe Cutter in a position where like he appeared weak to the audience because he needed to be this big strong villain and i'm sure george miller already had this idea of like now there's this leaking gasoline and there's this mm. candle on the end and it's going to be great but toe cutter just wouldn't fit in that position because he would have 
had to have been held there by a single pair of handcuffs, which just feels like it's not enough for that character. Yeah. And you can also argue it bookends in a way because Johnny was the one that was arrested and they had to let go and Goose didn't want to let him go. He knew that was a bad idea. So mm. this is Max finishing off what Goose knew was to be done all along kind of thing. Yeah. You know? take out the guy. So there, yeah. I, I can see reasons for it being him. It's just... Yeah, I think it's maybe just partly that the third act, it's particularly the Johnny stuff here at the end, does feel a little bit rushed, and it does mm. feel like maybe there was some more development. In, it was just, and I'm not saying the movie has to be super long, just maybe 10 more minutes overall, just to flesh out a few things. Yeah, I think it is also a problem where this movie, like we said, it's just a differently paced revenge film, where the third act is where all of the revenge happens. But it is strange in that there are two different points of revenge. There's his mm. wife and kid, and there's also Goose. And there's different things going on for each of those revenge plots where he's getting toe cutter for his wife and kid. But Johnny, the only reason he'd be upset with Johnny is because of the Goose thing. So it's weird that the Goose thing is the first revenge point that he doesn't immediately act on while it's the final kill in the movie, which makes it feel like it should be the most important. Yeah. Again, I think that comes back to me, what I was saying there about how he ignores that at first. He decides mm-hmm. to, to just to get away from the life when what happens to Goose happens. And him being last is kind of symbolic of like admitting that this is a problem that was there before something happened to his family. And yeah. not so much that it could have been prevented, maybe it could have, but this idea that it's, uh, you know, that, that was there before and he knew there was a symptom that he didn't treat. So, right. uh, you know, I, I can, like, I think there's some thought to this and I, I, I kind of get what it's doing with, with these ideas and characters. Uh, mm. It just needs maybe a little bit more in some places to really flesh them out. But it, Well, we got three, almost four more movies to do that, so... Well, we'll be fleshing out those characters, but we'll flesh out Max a bit, I, I presume. Yeah. So, now I'm actually looking forward to doing the rest of these, and I've never seen the third mm. one, so I'm curious to see Thunderdome and see how that goes. All right. Again, I haven't seen... I've, I've been around them. I've, like, seen them when I was very, very young, but nothing in my head is... I couldn't tell you which one's which. I couldn't tell you the plots of the movies, so I'm coming in pretty much blind. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to the, the rest of them. And I was I was looking forward to this one, even though I knew I probably wasn't going to love it, because it's at least an interesting, like, oh, yeah. one to talk about. It's, it's because it does lead to something else, because it... Yeah. It's, you know, it's a cornerstone to a franchise that I think a lot of people are familiar with, even if they don't know the specifics of what this one was. They just know the franchise as a whole. Yeah, for sure. So, what are you rating Mad Max? Um, again, it it does have its problems. I don't think that it is a bad movie by any means, but it is definitely limited, and it could have gone through an extra... I I wouldn't even say a trim, but just a rewrite to either cut out some extraneous things or clarify some things that weren't actually there. But all in all, I did enjoy it. And I think that the cinematography and the sort of cinematic experience of it was there, even for the low budget they had for with what they were working with. They had a vision, George Miller specifically, and he made it really work. So I'm going to say that this one, I think it's just going to be a flat seven for me. I enjoyed it a lot, but it is, again, it's it's going to be the idea of this is weirdness with the first installment where I'm trying to judge it based off of 
what the movie did and not what my expectations of Mad Max as a franchise is. So, seven. Yeah, it. I think the filmmaking skills there, like I've been saying, there's there's enjoyable action scenes, there's really well-directed moments, and there's signs of what it's going to become. Uh, but there is some weird pacing, and if anything, the movie's actually too short. It's only 90 minutes, and I think mm. fleshing out the last act especially by just 10 minutes just to just give a bit more meaning to to some of the kills of some of the bad guys it feels like uh they happen in pretty quick succession and in, in some mm. ways i i just think would would help it quite a bit it, it, this is a tough one to rate for me because I, I i don't want it to be harsh even though i do think it has some problems where it doesn't feel like it quite it becomes a fully formed movie so i think for that reason uh, I'm not going to go as far to say that it is outright good, mm. which is why I would say a 7 is. So I'm going to go 6.5 and say it's okay. kind of a, a flawed, interesting first entry that has a lot of good qualities, but uh, isn't quite a fully formed movie in its own right, I would say. but That's fair. There you go. Uh, we'll so that's, see what happens with Road Warrior. Yeah, uh, so that's the first Mad Max. We'll be back in a few episodes' time with Road Warrior Mad Max 2. So look forward mm-hmm. to that. We've got something else planned for next week, though. Uh, we'll, what do we have next week? We have... Oh, we have Rebel Moon from yeah. Zack Snyder next week. Oh, oh boy. Uh... Merry Christmas to all. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that. Well, Pete, can I can I give my little homework? Yeah, so yeah, we have the homework segment at the end of the show, which is David... Uh, on catching up on all the sci-fi movies that me and Tara already did, so that he's mm-hmm. he's familiar with them. Uh, watches a, a homework movie each each week. It's always a movie that me and Tara already reviewed on the Ace in the past. Yep. Uh, he's typically sticking to eighties movies for the time being. So mm-hmm. I'm curious because he doesn't tell me in advance. What was your homework movie this week? So this one is actually not an eighties movie, but oh. it is one so that I can do an eighties movie later on. And I figured, you know what? This movie, 1979. Let's see what else is going on. I did Alien. <laughs> not really a thematic match, but... No, not at all. The year, it was there. And I need to do Alien because not only it's somewhere in 2024, we are supposedly supposed to have a new Alien movie coming out, but Aliens is, of course, a big one for the 80s, so I had to eventually get that one. So, yeah. Um... It was all right, I guess. <laughs> Come on, it was a I, masterpiece, and that's what you it, want to say. It it was. It was a very, very. I, I I have not seen a movie in a very long time that set up atmosphere the way that Alien did. And I, I will say, I have seen Alien before. It's not my first time viewing, but it's it's such a masterclass on just setting up this feeling of dread and the unknown and a, just complete alone out in the stars it's it's fantastic in the way it does that um and lots of phallic things so many i i i was watching this with my girlfriend and as the face hugger came out i was like you'll notice that everything here is not only sapphic but phallic as well it has both sides of it and she's like oh that's horrible and i'm like i, I know i'm just i'm just imagining uh early on when they're investigating the alien ship and they go in the space jockey set and yeah. i'm just imagining you turning to her and her going that's a penis 
pretty much that's more or less where that conversation took place um so the only the only like tiny little criticism i'll give with the movie is that while i do think it does a fantastic job at keeping the xenomorph as a distant figure something that's not shown and it is Mm -hmm. just off screen it's this horrifying thing that could appear anywhere i do think that once we finally do get a good look at it it's super obvious it's a dude in a rubber suit and i think that having that especially towards the finale is just it takes away a little bit of the menace from it for me but that is my only real critique out of like the entire movie the rest of it is great um actually one of my favorite moments that i don't see talked about a lot is um when they're first getting down to the planet and you got the three people in the suits there's like this i don't know geyser like a gust of pressurized air that Mm -hmm. comes out right next to them as they're walking in and you can't hear it it's completely dead silent like all you can hear is they're breathing inside their suits and it would have been so easy to do like a quick pop of like oh yes scary burst of air right next to them as they're walking in just to really up the scare factor of it but it isn't it instead gives with this silent dread of just the heart monitors and breathing and that's all you get and i i really appreciate the atmosphere in this movie so uh, oh it's just uh it's master class there's very little like it. i think the production of like the the, the sets the, the the ships and the detail mm. in the ships both interior and the models for the exterior mm. it's it's next level stuff i mean i'm sure yeah. i i'm sure i waxed lyrically about it for two hours when we did the review you i i listened to the review just to make sure and yeah uh-huh. you did yeah um okay. but yeah it, i mean i don't blame you it, it's a fantastic <laughs> movie um i think you and tara gave it both tens I don't know if I can go that far just because I'm I'm always really hesitant to give an entire 10 to something because I just it really needs to hit me on a deeper level for to like get the 10. For, for the record, that... there's only three movies that me and Tara have uh, only ever given both 10s to where both mm-hmm. of us have given 10s. Yeah. Aliens, one of them. I I I see the score sheet. I see it sitting there staring at me, taunting me to do it, to give it that 10. But honestly, I think I'm going to go 9.5. <laughs> You're such a wanker. <laughs> it is. But like, it just, there was, it. as much as I really did enjoy the movie, and I do think it is a masterclass, I think the 10 is reserved for something that just hits me in a way that like I can't explain. That just is a deep thing. And it, I just, it didn't well, quite get there. It was great. I, I look just, forward to your rated of my punch when we meet in person. <laughs> That's fair. It'll hit me in a way that I can't explain, except to the police and the doctors. What? I don't need to bring authorities into this. We can settle this like men. Oh, okay, yeah. I'll just stand there and take a punch to the face and say, that's fair, I gave Alien a 9.5. As you should! And then you say, thank you, sir. See, this is just all the more reason why, like, Every once in a while, my girlfriend would say, like, hey, if we ever take a trip to Scotland or, like, Britain, do you want to, like, try to meet up with Pete? And I'm like, no, not really. I've got a lot to answer for. <laughs> I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Alien, that's a big uh, Get out yep. in the homework. Um, but you are right. There is a new Alien movie coming next year. Next August, we've got Alien. Uh, oh, I forget the name. Regulus? Romulus? Romulus, that's the one. Yep. Yeah. And then before that, we have Alien Day, as you told me, we have to do an Alien we movie for that. So. Yeah. 
Um, and this will be the last year we have an Alien franchise movie to do on Alien Day. But don't worry, for future years, there's knockoffs. Oh, good. We've got we've got plenty to pick from. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so you can expect Prometheus on Alien Day, and then we'll knock out Alien Covenant somewhere between that and when Romulus comes out. Because we have to be caught gotcha. up for the new one. That's just, right. you know, that's just logic. That's how it works. <laughs> so... There you go. That is the that is the show. Um, I'll be said earlier on about Patreon. You get bonus content. We have two bonus shows that me and David specifically do each month. We do the Criterion Cut, where we review a movie from the Criterion Collection each month. So that's a classy film. That's a deep talk of themes and allegories, and we get hoity toity and at we're we better than everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's very very prestigious. And then mm. we also have extra reels at the five dollar tier and up, which is us reviewing some of the worst things that have ever been made and is either painful or hysterical depending on the movie and sometimes both sometimes both yeah sometimes 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 that's the best is but you 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 slingshotting from pain to to funny but uh yeah so uh this month we had uh what did we have this month i think it's still talking cat was talking cat this month oh yeah that was delightful yeah. and uh criterion cut was magician yes yes there you go so there you go that's that's uh go get those but there's also bonuses for other shows on uh the mail fuzz patreon uh such as screams after midnight and uh i do a colombo review every month that you may be interested in if you happen to like colombo but that <laughs> is the show thank you very much for joining us we always appreciate it keep watching science fiction and computer I can't do an Australian. I, I really wanted to say it in an Australian accent, but I can't do an Australian accent. That's fair. <laughs> that's not. Just say crikey. That's not salsa. This is a salsa. <laughs> <laughs>